When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Rons, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for making time for this. Of course. I have many questions about, the, about that life tour uh, and many more, but we got to start by getting to the truth about all the rumors. Is it true that the only reason Attila exists is because Franz got rich from suing a sushi restaurant? Oh, of course, man. Duh. <laughs> no, that's actually a really funny rumor, and I'm glad to finally debunk it. But the story of the the salmonella sushi, uh, first of all, salmonella is the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone. I don't wish that upon my worst enemy. But um, long story short, early days of Attila, we're on tour. I ate some sushi at a place that I'd been to before, but the supplier of the sushi uh, it turns out was storing the tuna in like non-refrigerated areas with rats and rat poop everywhere. Mm. So I got extremely sick. And um, funny thing, this is when like Twitter was new. And that's actually how I found out about it. Cause someone like tweeted at me and was like, Hey, I want, I think you're sick because maybe this salmonella outbreak <laughs> because of this tuna. And I put it all together and freaked out. Thanks to I Dr. Twitter. Yeah, probably the only good thing to come over Twitter, to be honest. But uh, I ended up kind of piecing things together and I found a really good food lawyer that was really excited about representing me. But I think that's the biggest misconception is because people um, people think that I got some like massive fortune. And um, I will say that as an extremely broke, young, touring Franzilla, uh, the money that I got it was helpful, but uh, without giving away a number, it wasn't even like enough money to buy a car. You know, it was a a small Pay a rent a sm for a couple months. Yeah, it was which it helps was... when you're like grinding like that. Yeah, so so the rumor is is not true. The the sushi the lawsuit I won from the tainted sushi uh, did not provide me riches or anything. <laughs> If anything, like you said, it provided maybe a couple months of, of living expenses, which is nice. Yeah. Well, I'm disappointed. I was hoping that one was going to be true, but uh, it's all yeah. downhill from here. Yeah. I, I was hoping it was true, too. I'd, I'd, <laughs> loved, I'd love to be super rich. All right. Well, you're kicking off the 10th anniversary, 10th anniversary tour of About That Life Soon, which in all seriousness, I think is like legitimately a masterpiece. I was Thank blown you. away by that album when it came out. I still think it's great. I listened to it again before this interview. I legitimately love it. How do you feel about it looking back on it now a decade later? I I love it. 
I think that what about that life did for the scene was something that needed to happen. It, it really shocked people. Um, I I don't know. I, I always wonder if some bands look back on their older stuff and they don't really like it because for me, I think a lot of them do. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. That's so strange for me. I love everything we've done and the about that life album. I still to this day, love it. And we, most of the songs on that album are in our regular touring set anyways. So it's, it's, I love that album. That album was, was pivotal. It's interesting. You said um, that it did something that the scene needed, which, you know, looking back on it, 2013 was kind of, to me, really when things started getting super serious and kind of uptight, you know, Tumblr started getting really big and all the bands started making the like, black and white merch and all that stuff, which is cool. I liked a lot of that stuff, but it's kind of like, guys, remember, like we're here to have fun. Exactly. And at the time there was nothing edgy, nothing pushing buttons. Everything was pretty stale to be honest. And and everything kind of sounded similar, but I, I think that about that life is by far like the most interesting experience I've ever experienced. Cause the biggest thing I always tell people about that album is when we dropped about that life, I've never seen so much hatred in my life <laughs> and all across the board, like yeah. everybody hated it. And it every was like single... broken side. It was that same level of like hatred. Yeah. And every single news outlet from AP Revolver, it doesn't matter what it was. Every article was just like worst metal album ever. Worst, (laughs) worst album ever created. This sucks. Like this is dog shit. And it was crazy because um, it was about three to four months after the release of About That Life where something just clicked and everyone decided they loved it. And actually, this is great. Yeah, and it was the most like confusing thing to my brain because I was just processing all of this hate and I was like, damn, I guess no one likes it like we like it. And then it was like something just flipped and it flipped. I'll, I'll never forget the moment that it flipped because it was right in the middle of Warp Tour. And really quick, before we go any further, have you checked out my Patreon? Patrons get early access to all my main channel videos and my podcasts. I also do giveaways sometimes. For example, I just gave away a pair of these Eargasm earplugs. And if you want me to review your music, there's a way to do that as well. All you gotta do is join at the $10 and up level, then every month I do a call for submissions. If you want me to review something, all you gotta do is drop it in the comments of that post, then I will review it live on Twitch and post it on Patreon for everyone to see. So if that sounds cool, hit the link in the description of this video and I appreciate your support. So this is 2014 or uh, it might've been 2013 actually, but it's uh, right in the middle of Warp Tour. It was our first Warp Tour ever. And we were only supposed to do the first half of Warp Tour and because that's all we got offered. And then a couple days before we were supposed to drop off Warped, Kevin Lyman walks up to us because at this point about that life out of nowhere just blew up to the moon and he walks up to us and he's like, look, guys, I really need you guys to stay on Warp Tour like this. You know, can you guys just do the whole tour? And we just we already had plans. So we just looked at him and said, hey, sorry, but we're we got to go because we already have another tour planned. And then that's kind of when it clicked. And he was like, well, next year you're doing the full tour. And we were just like, sweet, cool. 
I mean, I'm sure you expected, you know, the hate because obviously, you know, you said a lot of ridiculous stuff on purpose. Um, were you stoked on it? Did it feel bad at the same time? How did you feel about that? It was very like mixed emotions because at that point I was kind of used to the hate, but I hadn't seen hate on that level. So it was a new level of hate, but I think what made it strange to me is, like I said, after this massive wave of hate, and we didn't have a single positive press article about this album. <laughs> right. So after this massive wave of hate, there was this huge resurgence of popularity. So it was mentally confusing to me, but I, I could see like our crowds growing, 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 everyone singing along to all the songs. And I, I think it was it was very rewarding because I knew it was a good album when we wrote it. I knew it was a good album when we released it, but it took everyone a few months to, I guess, digest it and realize that they liked it. I mean, there's always that disconnect between what the media likes, which is, you know, old uptight men and yeah. what the kids like, you know, younger people and women and stuff like that, that aren't really represented in the media. And by the way, a lot of girls loved Attila back then. Oh Yeah. And, they still um, do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But you know what I mean. Like that. That was like that was a dynamic that I think um, I, I've seen this happen so many times that basically, if young people and especially young women like something, the media hates it. Yep, you're right. And I think the biggest takeaway that I got from it is I think if it wasn't for all the negative media and the super hateful um, press we got. I don't think the album would be as big because right. if you if you think about it, if how would people these, have even known about it? Yeah, and if all these major news outlets were just to post, um, Attila releases a new album about that life. It's awesome. Who cares? No one's no one's gonna click that. But if everyone's posting worst album of the decade, like this <laughs> sucks, everyone's gonna click it and listen. So I think just the overwhelming hate drove everyone to the album to be like, what the fuck's wrong with this album? Why is it so bad? And then they realized they liked it. What's interesting to me, I remember you guys kind of starting to bubble with like rage and especially outlawed. Um, but about that life was when you really kind of blew up. But it wasn't super different than anything you had been doing before. It was like better, but it wasn't like necessarily different. Do you think there's anything specific that you did that made it catch on the way it did? So I think it's it definitely was the same Attila formula, just supercharged. And it's quite a bit that, better. Yeah, it's a lot better. And I would say about that life was when we started incorporating a lot of rap and hip-hop influence mm, mm -hmm. and at the time like now it's the most popular thing is to have rap and metal but at the time in 2013 it wasn't popular or ever nobody done. did that it wasn't done yeah. before so we started incorporating a lot of the trap beats a lot of the rapping um and whatnot so it's just I think, the vibe yeah and the vibe and i think that was a big part of it uh, the video for um for about that life is still to this day one of the best most amazing ridiculous videos of all time i was laughing my ass off when i saw it um but it's like it's legitimately great at the same time where did that come from so that's actually a funny story so the producers that made the about that life video had never made a rock or metal music video before oh. they were strict <laughs> they were strictly rap and hip-hop 
And the way it all came together was actually interesting because uh, last minute, the location that we were supposed to film at uh, fell through. So we were screwed. We had nowhere to film this video. And then what had happened is um, a friend of the band, uh, I, for I forgot her name, but someone in my band was friends with this girl and the girl's parents had this mansion in Atlanta and they were out of town. And so she was like, we could film here. Who cares? So we just scored and got lucky out of nowhere and pull up to this mansion with these hoopties and stuff and uh, just start ripping this awesome music video. It kind of all just came together out of luck, I guess. Did you have like all the concept and shot list and stuff figured out or did that just happen on the fly or what? Um most of it was kind of figured out. We And that's kind of why we went with a rap producer is because we wanted a really over-the-top hip-hop video. Right. W what did he think of uh, of the song and everything? Uh, they they loved it. Everyone loved it, and everyone had a good time, and it was it was a party. Everyone was just smoking blunts the whole time, and <laughs> it, was, it was wild. When you, did, when you had that song and especially the video done... Did, did you know what you had? No, I didn't. I mean, I knew it was good and I knew it was going to be like our best video like that we had so far, but I didn't realize how big it would get. Not right. at all. Even when we recorded the album, I, you know, because about that um, Outlawed and Rage are great albums, but yeah. they never caused us to blow up. So in my head, I'm just like, okay, this is a great album. I love it. It's better than anything we've done, but I don't really know what to expect. So I, I, everything about that album was a surprise to me and the band. One thing that I think maybe people miss about that album and especially that song is like, it's a really fucking good song. Like, obviously there's the shock value of the lyrics and the imagery and all that stuff, but it's like catchy as fuck. Like, it's just legitimately a great song with like tons and tons of hooks. Thank you. Yeah, it is. It is good. I, I love it. I love that whole album front to back. It's great. I would say of that whole era, maybe the best lyric is in that song. She counts my money while I'm on my PlayStation. I yeah. still laugh every time I hear it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's I, and I think the goal for that album was just to kind of be over the top. And I think to understand the album, too something I wanted to talk about, I think it helps to understand the the setting, the scenery and the environment and where we where we all were at. So at this at this point, we had already recorded with Joey Sturgis before and Joey Sturgis in the past, like when we did Outlawed, lived in a very tiny, like basically trailer in Indiana in the that middle of his a, old studio, his old studio. Yeah, yeah. in the middle of a cornfield. But this about that life was right when he had just moved into a crazy huge mansion in um, I think it was Royal Oak, Royal Oaks, uh, yeah. Mich Michigan. Yeah. And so none of us in the band had ever like been in a crazy mansion or house like that. Um, you know, we were kind of in our young crazy party phase, and then you just put us in this mansion with like heated wood floors and all this like expensive stuff. So we're up there and we're just um, partying every day, going wild. My guitarist got arrested and went to jail during the middle of recording. Like all kinds of crazy things are happening. And, you know, it, it feels like we're in this badass mansion and it feels like we're like, I don't know, something about your being Scarface in a, moment. Yeah, it was like a Scarface moment. And I think that had a lot of influence on the album uh, was just 
or the environment we were in, the kind of headspace we were in, where we we were very carefree. We had nothing to worry about at that point in our lives. No, no big stressors. It was just like we're here to party in this mansion and make this fucking album and do whatever the fuck we want. And it kind of that energy got captured in about that life. Is being from Atlanta like a part of all that? You know, just being around like hip hop culture and stuff so much, especially like Southern hip hop culture. Very much, very much so. And that's that's why Attila has that sound that we do is very much because um, when I was growing up, I just had FM radio. And when you're growing up in Atlanta, every single station is rap. There's nothing right. but hip hop and rap. So I uh, rather than deciding to be against it or not like it i just fully embraced it and fell in love with the music and i think what happened is i got introduced to hard rock heavy metal and i loved the way that i loved the energy of rap and hip-hop but i liked how hard like heavy metal hit so yeah. it, it made perfect sense in my mind to combine the two genres even though no one had been doing it at the time I forget if we talked about this before, but um, I think with that album in particular, you really kind of came into your own or 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 sort of hit a new level as a vocalist. And and I think uh, I'm sorry, this is just an interview of me uh, kissing your ass, but I'm just I'm just gonna do it. That's what we're here for. Um, but uh, I think you're a very underrated vocalist. I think even now with you know all the like crazy deathcore vocal stuff that's going on. I still don't really think that there's anybody that does exactly what you do. Um, and Thank you. how much, how do you feel about that? I agree a hundred percent. And I don't, I, it comes from a place of confidence, not douchey cockiness, but yeah. my whole reason for being a vocalist in the first place was the lack of creativity within metal vocalists, because I started Attila in 2004. And at that time, um, I'll use a, an example and in no way am I talking shit, but like unearth, right? Yeah. Great band, but the vocals are so damn boring. Not like, a lot I of dynamics there. No dynamic, same vocal tone, same vocal patterns on every song. Um, so I was that's kind of what inspired me to be a vocalist, is because when I hear heavy metal music, I hear intricate patterns and yeah. um different ranges, you know, keep people guessing. So right. my 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 whole goal to even become a vocalist was to be the most diverse vocalist possible. So I I I agree with you. And I think Deathcore is having a huge resurgence of popularity and it's cool. I like it too. I just think, um, I think a lot of it is kind of stale, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and it's, you could put like five or six of the top deathcore songs next to each other and you can't really tell like which you could vocalist copy and paste is which. Parts from one song to the other and it wouldn't make a difference. Yeah. And I'm, I'm stoked for all my friends that are big deathcore vocalists because everything yeah. is getting really popular right now, but it's not a, not too many vocalists out there. Can you hear their personality and their vocals, you know? And it's, it's not catchy. I think what you have is like that. I'll, I'll say it's a pop sensibility, which probably sounds weird to people, but you have a lot of hooks in your, in your music and you know, you can, you can sing along to a lot of Attila songs, which is not really the case for a lot of stuff. Agreed. And I think that's kind of where I've heard people say that we were a gateway band for them getting into metal 
is because, you know, an average listener is going to listen to metal and just say, it's a lot of screaming. I don't understand it. Whereas Attila came out and you could maybe not understand all of it, but there's parts you can understand enough yeah. to keep you hooked in and, and kind of get you introduced to metal. I mean, Suicide Silence was that too, you know? You can't mm -hmm. understand most of what he's saying, but you hear, pull the trigger, bitch, and... You, you only, only live you know, once. Yeah, you get enough, you know, you get these snippets here and there that you can sing along with and latch onto it. And, you know, right or wrong, the human brain, like, we respond to vocals more than anything else. Yeah. If you can sing along to something, that's what makes a song stick for most people. You're absolutely right. And, you know, respect to the vocal gymnastics people. I get it. It's cool. But, um... I think aside from the shock factor of like, holy shit, this person can do that with their voice. I don't know yeah. that they're necessarily great songs. Yeah. I mean, look at what's happening now. So a uh, good friend of mine, Will Ramos, he, he crafted this style that yeah. is unmistakably him, but then, you know, he, he, he does this crazy animal noise. Right. And all of a sudden I've, I shit you not. I've heard five other vocalists copy it. And with it's the like, same breakdown, breakdown with the yeah. same symphonic shit, with the Which, fucking jets of flame in the background. It's like, guys, we already have one fucking Will. We already have one Lorna Shore. We don't need a hundred more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I think that, you know, it shows how much lack of creativity there is with other people where they yeah. hear something and they're like, I'm going to copy what Will did. It's like, let will have his fucking thing you thing. know yeah. everyone doesn't need to copy just because you see someone does this noise and it gets popular and i think that's where like in heavy music a lot of there's a lack of creativity is because people don't really think outside of the box i mean that was the death of crab cores like everyone's like oh attack attack and the devil wars prada let's fucking run that into the ground and make a hundred albums that sound like that. And then everyone's like, I'm sick of this shit. And it died. Yep. And then the architects wave. Everyone's yep. like, holy shit. Like, let's sound like architects. And yep. it's like, we don't need 50 bands that sound like architects. Let them have their limelight. Like great band, but we already have architects. We don't need another one. Exactly. Um, well, another thing that people, many, many, many people asked me to ask you about, um, I have to, I have to ask about it is made because people bring this up so much and for some reason, I, I've seen it before, but I can't find it online anywhere. Um, how did that happen and how do you feel about it now? So that's a good question. And I get asked that a lot too. So the story goes like this. I mean, obviously growing up in the early 2000s, MTV Made was the best show. Like everyone loved, loved that show. I was hooked on it and I watched all the episodes. So what happened is I went to a high school um, in a suburb of Atlanta called Mill Creek High School and made came to my school and did open auditions. So I didn't even have to go anywhere or send a video in. I just had to step up from the lunch table and walk to a room and audition. So I'm at the lunch table with all my friends. I'm like 14, 15 at the time. And I'm just like, hey, do you guys dare me to go audition and be on made? And we kind of just all chatted about it at the lunch table. And I'm like, well, they're I'm I'm just a big hairy metal dude. Like they're not gonna pick me if I say that I want to be in a famous metal band because I'm already like in a band. I have to pick something that's polar opposite of what I am. So I was like, I'm gonna pick that I want to be a male model. And I bet <laughs> right. I can get them to pick me. And I just, I, I felt it. Like I knew I could get them to pick me. And I started like thinking about ideas in my head during my interview that'll make them pick me. So 
I, I step off from the lunch table, walk into this interview room and I'm in the camera starts rolling and they're like, all right, tell us what you want to be made into. Tell us about yourself. And I was just like, I'm Chris Franzak and I want to be made into a male model. And then I did a model walk and tripped over a chair and fell. And I just heard like, uh, like silence, like the, the silence of like, this is the one. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And then I just knew at that moment they were going to pick me. And so I ended up having to do like a second audition. um, And and they sent like, they sent someone to me to like follow me, I guess for a day or two. And then ultimately they ended up picking me, but it was like a year or so process of getting everything in order. It's crazy, by the way, when you're on reality TV, they, uh, they have to send you to a psychiatrist and get this intense evaluation to make sure you're not going to kill yourself because they know, they know that they're going to mentally like torture me. So (laughs) they're just, so they're just like, you look like an asshole on TV. Yeah. They're like, okay, we're going to send you to the psychiatrist. Like, cause we're going to really fuck with your head and we we need to make sure you're not going to suicide or something. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So I went through the whole process, finally got, uh, approved and then started filming when I was 16. And that was that I'll never forget. Um, when the episode aired me and all my friends and all my family just all huddled up on the couch, like watching. And the other interesting thing that I tell people is that was in the MySpace days when MySpace was getting really popular and cool. So the first thing I did is, um, after the episode aired, and I think this was like 2006, I ran to my computer, dial up, boop, 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 logged into MySpace, and I just saw my followers like thousands, thousands per second, like, and it blew my mind. I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. And for some reason, I can't find it anywhere. There's a lot of people that are like, oh, Franz doesn't want it out there. He took all the videos down. Is, is that no. true? No, I hope. So here's something I've been thinking about. We have Catfish and all these other shows available on streaming. So why isn't made on streaming? I think you know? there's something about like the contract they had with the production company or something because none of the Viacom stuff from like 2004 to 2008 is on any street like none of those shows. Yeah, like, and that's what's Cribs, weird to me. Um, next, Pimp My Ride. Front, yeah, none of that stuff is on streaming. It's only the later seasons from like 2012 that nobody cares about. So I think yeah. it's some kind of legal thing. It, it's got to be something because 
I myself would love if they put my episode on streaming because it would blow up. It'd be huge. I would pay a thousand dollars to be able to watch all those <laughs> shows from like that era because that was the best fucking era of TV. I love all that shit. Hands down, hands down. Um, but the only way to watch it is if you know me or my parents, because my parents have a DVD in their house of the episode and that's it. Okay, so go over to your parents' house and, and they'll show it to you. Knock on the door, say, hey, Mr. Franzak, I'm here to watch MTV Made. Okay, we'll do it. Um, Another thing I wanted to ask you about, um, people in the current era, uh, speaking of Twitter, people have tried to cancel Attila many times over the years, but you have always walked away without a scratch, which to me is kind of amazing because I feel like pretty much everybody in the scene has been canceled at some point or another. Oh, yeah. What's your secret? I don't think there's any secret. I think what it comes down to is um, anyone that read anything about me or us knows that it's very clearly false and made up. And also from my perspective, it's just one of those things where so many people already hated me and Attila anyways. So the only people that were really barking and being like, fuck Franz, whatever, they already hated me to begin with. Yes, They never went to a concert. They never bought a t-shirt. They never supported me or Attila to begin with. So it really just didn't matter because Attila's used to so much hate that what's more hate? It's just people will say anything and make up anything about people they hate. So it just doesn't matter. And I guess maybe we're just more well-conditioned for it. And these people only have power if you give them power. Like if you want their approval and start groveling, and apologizing and trying to make them like you, that's when they dig in deeper and they're never going to like you. Oh, yeah. It's the same It's the same thing that, you know, my parents used to tell me when I was young. Like, if there's someone picking on you constantly, if you show them attention or show them that it affects you, they're going to keep doing it. But if you just ignore any negativity and hate, it just goes away. I've really felt this in the past year or two, I guess, because, you know, I've gotten you know, big enough that I feel like there's a certain point that like, once you start getting successful enough, the default opinion starts to flip where like it, they, they liked you when you were small. And then when you get bigger, it flips and the default opinion is they hate you. And, you know, there's been weeks where there's like three threads about me on Reddit, you know, with hundreds of replies about what a horrible person I am and I, how I believe this and that and everyone hates blah, blah, blah. And at first it kind of stressed me out and like upset me. And then I realized it makes no fucking difference to like how many views I get and how much money I make. And nobody gives a shit what these people think other than the other people in their little fucking echo chamber where they smell each other's farts. Nobody else gives a fuck. No. And I think that's something I also have to remind like friends of mine or like other people in the industry that are worried about stuff. I'm just like, look, the people that are talking bad on Twitter, the people that have the loudest mouths represent the smallest percentage of people because the people that actually support you and fuck with you, they're not tweeting you every day talking about how much they fuck with you. They they just show up to shows. They buy your ticket, shut up. They shut up, buy your ticket, come to your shows, have a good time, buy a shirt and go home. And it's it's the the loudest mouth people represent the tiniest amount of real people. And I think anybody else, these are the people that are looking for the worst in everybody and everything. And they're going to take everything you say 
in the worst possible intentions. And I think anybody else can see, I mean, obviously you've said some things in songs that, you know, are a little bit edgy, but anybody can tell it's a fucking joke. Like it's obvious. Yeah, exactly. And these people that are, uh, you know, trying to burn everyone at the stake are the same people that want, you know, prison reform. They want people to get better. And it's like, why don't you apply that same logic? Because at the end of the day, all musicians are just regular human beings and everyone makes mistakes, no matter what kind of human you are or what profession you chose. So rather than I, I just I think it's more of like a power trip, yes, power hungry thing yes. from from nobodies that don't have any limelight on them yep. versus actually trying to help people. Because I think it would be more noble if people were, um, I guess, instead of trying to cancel people and hurt people's careers, if people would just be like, hey, um, we we think that you did something wrong and like we want to see you get better, you know, because I think if. If it was something like that, I think a lot of these musicians out here would be like, be more willing to um, hold themselves accountable and yeah. be like, you're right. Like, you know, I, I did make a mistake and I, I promise to be better and I'm going to, you know, make changes. And I think that's more of a positive, like uplifting building energy that would probably help out the community more. Well, they versus- don't want to help people. No, that's the they, thing. They just want to burn people at the stake. It's a power and- trip. That's all it is. It's a shakedown. That's what it is. They want. They want to see if if they can get Franz to grovel and beg for forgiveness. Yeah, and not gonna no. happen. No. <laughs> um. Well, you did have that song call out. We had two song, two call out songs, but call out two, I thought was the funnier one. Uh, you dissed like Bad Baby and Tim Lambesis and Asking Alexandria, Jeffrey Star, and probably twenty other people. How much of that was serious and and did you actually piss anybody off with that? That call out too was I don't even know how to explain it, but <laughs> that was a I guess like a song gone wrong, I suppose, okay. because the here here's the issue with call out too and it, it took us to release it before we found out, but Basically, a lot of the people I called out and call out to were friends where it was just funny and I hit them up in advance and I was just like, hey, like we're writing call out to blah, blah, blah. But some of them were serious also. But some of them were serious. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them were serious. And that's where I fucked up is because when you have this call out to and some of some of it is serious and some of it is just having fun and talking shit about my friends, that caused a lot of confusion because it's you can't really i i realize it now but you can't really mix like serious and right, um right. funny so, so i you're think putting me in the same bucket as jeffrey epstein or yeah, harvey weinstein which, or whoever it was exactly which i see that's that's the problem is we we jumped in the studio we fucking wrote that song like in less than an hour you know it was on a whim we just sat there and we're like fuck it let's go blah 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 done so it, that that's something that should have been more thought out to where we either said, hey, for call out two, let's go the fully serious route or let's go like fun joking right. route and not mix the two. So that's that's where we failed with that one, because um, even though, like I said, I did contact friends of mine that were in the song and it was all fine. It did um, it did make people upset even right. though it was already talked about and it kind of created, I guess, like a weird um, energy or weird vibe uh, with some friends. And it was, uh, I would just say it's a learning experience. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I, I'm sure they'll they'll get over it. They'll be fine. Yeah, they're they're <laughs> fine. It's all good. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Warp Tour before, and um, you know, the more the more time goes on since I think the last one was about 2018. I think 2017. Yeah. Um, the the more time without Warp Tour, the more I kind of realize that I think losing Warp Tour was a big part of why the scene has been kind of flat for a while. Um, and and I I soon remember that there was like you were talking about buying the name or something a while ago. What whatever happened with that? So this is probably the number one question I get asked. Oh really? Um, yeah. I every day on Twitter, any social media, everyone brings it up. Uh, the story is that um, the last warp tour that Attila did, which I believe was 2017, there was a night in San Diego where Kevin Lyman came up to me and he was just like, Franz, do you want to buy warp tour from me? Very serious. Okay. And I kind of, I was like, my jaw dropped and I was like, um, yeah. Um, but I, I didn't have like probably the amount of money he wanted. Yeah. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I was just it's not a small amount of money. I'm sure. No, but I know from his perspective, um, but he would probably also rather it be in someone's hands that would do, you know, take care of it. Yeah, of course. And I think that's why he offered that to me is because still to this day, if you ask Kevin Lyman, I was the only band member that was awake, like at sunrise every morning working because I had my stay sick tent on warp tour. So I would wake up at sunrise and help my dude, like set everything up and get everything in order. And he really admired my work ethic and how much I loved music, but I was also willing to work hard every single day. Right. So, um, I think that's why, cause he always said to me, he's like, you're the only person in a band that wakes up that early. Everyone <laughs> else wakes up like, you know, I was the only person in a band on Warp Tour that would go get breakfast, you know. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. Oh, it was right. just crew dudes only. So he, he noticed that. And that's, uh, I think, from his perspective, too. Um, 
being like his from an older generation, he wasn't used to all of this social media hate on Twitter and stuff right, because right. he took he took everything to heart because um, yeah. Warped Tour is this baby. So people talking shit on Twitter, you know, I'm mad about this. I'm mad about this at Kevin Lyman. He would yeah. read and reply to every single tweet. And we're talking about hundreds a day of just which in stuff. hindsight, like it's cool that he did that, but he probably shouldn't have. No, no, it's he it's a good and bad problem to yeah. have, but he cared too much and yeah. he wanted to please every single person that had a bad tweet. And I and think the harder what, you try, the more they're going to dig in. Yeah, because these people were mad about stupid stuff. You know, I yeah. can't I'm mad. I can't bring this cooler in like, right. I don't know, you know, stupid shit. Um, and he took it all to heart, which is good, but he should have just kind of let it go. So I think the um, the social media like people bitching kind of weighed in on him and right. was start taking a toll on him. And also like the past few warp tours we did, there was like, I swear there was like a town hall meeting every fucking night. Like, okay, we got to kick off Johnny Craig off warp tour. Okay. We yeah. got to kick this dude off warp tour. Like we got to burn this dude at the stake. And he just didn't fucking care about that shit. It was like, it was just so much stress to him where he was like, I created warp tour to have fun. And you guys are making this kind of, miserable with all this yeah. like drama and just all this stuff going on and at, at the time also he um had his beer company that was highly successful saint archer brewing so yeah. i they think sold he sold for hundreds of millions of dollars or something i think i i, I don't know if it, exit. i don't know if it was like hundreds but i know tens at i think least. it was, it was a tens. Big exit. yeah it was a lot of money so financially he didn't need warp tour not that he used warp tour for financial gains anyways he just yeah. loved warp tour but i think he was just reaching a point where he's just getting older and the amount of stress warp tour had against him was not worth you know him busting his ass and losing money once in a while on certain yeah. dates like jacksonville or new mexico right. so i think that's kind of where it all stemmed down to and him contacting me or talking to me in person and being like hey do you want to take over warp tour and i i was really excited about that idea and basically what happened is um, we we had a couple like phone meetings to talk about it. COVID happened. So everything shut down. And then um, the last time I spoke to him about it, uh, he basically said that I think him taking a break away from Warp Tour for a few years allowed him to see how much love there was for Warp Tour in demand. Yeah. So I think he is probably going to reintroduce the Warp Tour brand. Um, but he did say that it might not be like a full like countrywide touring festival. So I don't I don't really know exactly what yeah. he has planned for Warp Tour, but I do think we'll see it in some kind of dose. So but, uh, you know, if I if I ever have the opportunity to take over Warp Tour, I 100 percent am still all in. So it just kind of depends if he's, um, you know, still trying to carry it on or if he trusts me to make it happen, because it, it would be a full time job for me, but totally. I'd be I'd be more than happy to do it because I have a very clear vision of what Warp Tour needs. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild, and we are the Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Needs to be to thrive. What? Uh, tell me the vision. I'm curious. 
So personally, I think that Warp Tour had too many bands and yep. too many dates. So every day that we're playing, you know, it costs a lot of money to set everything up and rent the amphitheater um, and paying all these bands. So uh, my my vision is instead of having like 50 or 60 bands where people only care about maybe 15 of them. Yeah. Let's have a condensed version of Warp Tour with, let's just say, 20 bands, right? And instead of having eight stages, let's have four stages right. where they're all um, back to back, back to back. And like instead it's of cool doing that amphitheaters, they whatever the flashlight stage or whatever <laughs> with, you know, some, you know, unknown local band playing to seven people. I get that. Like from like the perspective of, you know, that's a cool thing to do. But if you got Sorry, rid that's of so it, funny. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad I made you laugh. But like, if you got rid of that, you know, it's not going to hurt the tour. And honestly, it didn't really do anything for the bands either because they're playing at 11 a.m. to six people that were their friends anyway. You could just get rid of all that stuff and it, everyone would be better off for it. Yeah, you could you could trim the fat. And yeah. I, I know that that was like part of what made Warp cool and is because Kevin had such a big heart that he was all about giving people chances. Yeah. And yeah. The, the, Kevin Lyman is one of the last true like punk rock people in the world. Like, let's give, let's give the small man a chance. Come on, Warp Tour. He's so sick for that. But from a business mindset, it doesn't make sense to have, you know, um, purple skin donkeys playing, you know, that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it's a different world now. Shit is so much more expensive. You know, just the cost of touring and shit is crazy now. Like you just can't do things the same way, but yeah, I, I do hope it comes back. And, you know, you think about, I don't know, whatever in the mid two thousands to mid 2010s, you had Ozfest, mayhem, summer slaughter, warp tour, like, that shit was cool, and it, I, I think that's a huge part of why the scene was so healthy during yeah, that time. Yeah, 100%. Think about it. Warp Tour was only like 40 bucks a ticket, and you got yeah. to see a shitload of bands. And and meet them. Yeah, it was it was an experience that can never be replicated unless Warp Tour comes back. Yeah. Um, it, so just for, for me, too, like I, I went to Warp Tour in 2003, I think, a long time ago. And that day changed my life because I had just became a huge fan of Coheed and Cambria. They just released uh, In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3. And I bought I went to their tent during the meet and greet and bought the CD. And I'm like 100 people back in line. And someone from Coheed's crew comes up to me and they were like, you bought the CD? No way. And I'm like, yeah, of course, done. They're like, come to the front of the line. And they just passed me past everyone. And I was like, that's crazy that it's such a big deal that I bought a CD, but now I get to meet the band and all right. this stuff. And I just thought it was the coolest shit ever. And it it really opened my, it made me, it gave me a whole different type of passion for music. Cause at the time it was like a year before I started Attila. So I, it gave me a goal to reach for, like, I want to start a band. I want to do this. I want to be on Warp Tour. And I think it's kind of depressing that this generation doesn't get to experience Warp Tour. Yeah. I mean, now it's like, I guess you hope to blow up on TikTok. I guess that's like what people dream of now, which is, you know, that's cool, but it's not really the same. Yeah. I'm too old to learn TikTok dances, man. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I, I'm just, I'm still, I'm still dabbing. I, now that I'm going to be a dad in a couple days, I'm going to start dabbing just so, cause I want to be a good solid 
three to five years behind the trends at all times to make sure that I'm embarrassing the shit out of my son. Oh, amazing. Uh, go ahead and start planking too while you're at yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Plank, I'll do the ALS ice bucket challenge. Coney 2012. That's that's what I'm here for. Oh, man, that's great. Bring back the old days. Um, well, speaking of that, I, I always kind of wonder why there aren't more people in the scene who follow kind of your model as far as being entrepreneurial, because it's like, I feel like there's never been a better time to do all of this with social media and Shopify. And like, if you have a phone, you can kind of do whatever you want, but people don't do that. And you're proof of that, but people don't do it. And then they just bitch about money and how the system and blah, blah, blah. You know, and to me, it's just mindset that you that they have these self-limiting beliefs and you don't. What do you think about that? I trust me, I wish that a lot of my friends that are also in bands would adopt my mindset or or try to do things for themselves that would help help them push outside their limits. I think what it comes down to, because I have thought about this a lot, being musically talented is kind of a rare thing to have. Yeah. And it's even and it makes you in every other way. Yeah. It's it's I've very rarely met anyone that's good at music and good at business. Yeah. It's it's one or the other. Yep. And and it's very rarely both. And I think that I'm just one of those rare individuals where I'm super business oriented, but I also love making yep. music. But I've trust me, I've tried to help friends out, like, yo, dude, like you, you know people love what you play on guitar, like do, do a tab book or, yeah. you know, do this or do that or start this. And I think a lot of people, um, they'll have the ideas like, Oh, I want to do this. I know it would be big, but they lack the execution. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people are scared of fear or they just don't want to jump in and do it. And I sure. think that's a, a big factor too, but it's, it's, it's hard. Cause I mean, even if you're in a successful band, you still don't make that much money. Right. Um, you know, it's possible to be in a successful band and have like a very like basic car, like basic house if you're really killing it. But yeah. to get like, if you really want to create like security, financial freedom for you and your family, there's almost no way to do it strictly off music. You really I'm have to sure branch out. I'm pretty sure that I make more money from YouTube than almost anybody in a metalcore band. Oh, hands down. And it, we've even we've even toured with bands as Attila, where we're the opener. Like long time ago, we're the opener, and they're the headliner. And we walk home with more money than them because they're just so bad at money management. Like, yeah. let's get three buses, let's get fire, and um, all this crazy production stuff, and blow all this money. And it's like, do you guys not want to pay your bills when you get home? Yeah, because well, I shouldn't be making more money than you. We just budget our our money better. Right. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's what it is. It's like, it's very rare to be good at, you know, more than one thing. You know, you look at, I mean, periphery to me is the best example of this great musicians, great business people. And that's the reason why, you know, peripheries, they're not a small band, but they're not a huge band. Oh, they're, they're, all they're, rich. A, they're, they're a great example because look at Misha, everyone yeah. loves and admires his skills and he fucking capitalizes off of it. Yep. Not not in like a greedy way, but he's giving people what they want. And yeah. if there's a demand, like if you're if you're that good at guitar and people want to buy your signature guitar, they want to buy your tab books, they want to do all this stuff, provide it for them. 
And I think the, I love uh, it. a lot of people are just lazy too. Like they yeah. could, they could spend the extra effort to do this extra stuff that would create a lot of income for them. They just don't do it. So for someone who maybe recognizes like, okay, I'm that person. Um, what would you say to that? Not, not the lazy person, but the person who just sort of realizes I don't really have that skill set. What would your advice be to that person? Like they don't have the skill set to do like business stuff. Yeah. I would just say it's easier than you think it is. Mm -hmm. And you won't know unless you try. And the problem is a lot of people just don't try. And then yep. the other bit of advice I always give everyone is don't ever expect overnight money. That doesn't exist. Plan on sticking with it and, and hitting it hard for at least a couple of years. And then maybe in two or three years, you'll see some money. So yeah. don't expect money imme immediately. Be patient. And you have to try. If you have an idea for a business or something that um, you know is sym symbiotic to what you're doing as a musician, then do it. Yeah, I mean, I think the. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I'll give you an example right now. Um, just before this interview, I ran to the dealership and I bought a fifteen-passenger van, because and tomorrow I'm gonna buy a trailer. It's because I know that there's so many bands that I know personally in Florida that can't find vans and trailers to rent for tour. So I can buy. I just purchased this van. I can rent it out to my friends' bands. And I'll have the entire van paid off in six to eight months. So then after that, the next few years, I just get free income for nothing. Like I'm just constantly thinking of new ways right. to bring in income, whether it's small or big or what it is. But it, a lot of people just don't think about these things. Yeah. And there's risk there. You know, you might also lose your ass because maybe the you know market changes in six months and maybe you're going to be left holding the bag. There's always risk. Mm -hmm. But of course. you don't know until you try. Exactly. And I've I've made expensive business mistakes in 2000, I don't know, 15, I think. I created a social media app called Spur. And I remember that. I, I, yeah, I invested over $30,000 into making this app happen with development and employees and whatnot. And then it failed. But it was a $30,000 like learning curve for me because I, I gained a lot of knowledge from that mistake. And I would... I would have never known unless I tried. So it's mm -hmm. something that I could have lived my whole life being like, I regret not trying. I tried and failed and I didn't want to lose over 30 grand, but I, I got smarter as a result of it. So I'm, part I'm of the still happy. I'm happy I did it. The point about delayed gratification, I think is such an important one because very few businesses, you know, are making a lot of money from day one. Like it takes years from like from YouTube I didn't make any real money from YouTube for like maybe two years. And then I started making like a thousand or $2,000 a month, which is cool. But you know, obviously that's not enough to like pay any kind of bills or something like that. It wasn't mm -hmm. until maybe four years into it that it actually, you know, cause every video, every video makes money every day. And the more videos you have, the more that sort of income keeps coming in every day. And it wasn't until you know, probably three or four years into it that I was like, all right, this is starting to actually add up. And you see a lot of people start something like a podcast or whatever it is, and they give up after three months. And it's like, well, of course nothing came of this because you only did it for three months. Exactly. People people aren't patient enough because they, they see other people succeeding and they want that instant gratification. Like, I can't tell you 
how many people have started clothing lines because I started stay sick, but I'm talking, I could name over 10 people sure. and, and most of these people, same exact thing, started their clothing company, super excited, three months in gone social's gone everything doesn't exist anymore it's because people want that instant gratification and they don't realize it takes time because like much like you said when i started stay sick clothing i didn't make any money for the first two years and then out of nowhere it was like year three ish it was like boom i made money and it was like cool i i my patience paid off yep yep well, on that note, one thing that I think is really underrated about Attila is that, you know, you have a lot of silly songs and stuff, but I think you have a lot of, you know, well, maybe not a lot, but you have like plenty of serious lyrics um, that I think people kind of sleep on. For example, my favorite one is Rise Up, which I think is a really like empowering, super positive song. Can you talk a little bit about the message behind that song? Yeah. So, um, Rise Up is kind of just encouraging people to take control of their life and and build themselves a better future and, and break out of the system that wants them to just be stuck in a nine to five. Um, and yeah, I, I haven't heard anyone mention that song in forever, but you're right. It's, I it's love a that good one. song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I forget. Uh, I'm not very good at remembering the exact lyrics, but I remember reading that. I was like, man, this reminds me of like terror or something. This is cool. Yeah, no, it's cool. And it's kind of, there's been serious Attila songs all throughout our career. They just always get swept under the rug because right. people people love the uh, suck my fuck, you know, right. fuck this, fuck that more than the serious songs. But there still are some people that appreciate it. So it, it always makes me happy to hear. But if all you did was serious songs, then probably a lot less people would know the band. And, you know, it's kind of like you... you you gotta, I, it's like a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. That's how I think about it. Yeah, exactly. Try to sneak that stuff in there. Uh, last question I have for you. Very important question. If you could get with anyone on your OnlyFans, who would it be? But it has to be a guy. <laughs> um, I'm probably going to answer this one pretty quick. Uh, I would say Ryan Gosling. Okay. I love him. Not, I was thinking Brian Stars. Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Nightmare, nightmare. No. Okay, cool. Well, I appreciate your time. Thanks again uh, for everything. And I will see you on the, uh, on the tour. Yeah. About that life tour, September to October, we're playing about that life front to back. So everyone watching, make sure you grab tickets because the tour will sell out. Right on. Take care. Bye. All right. Thank you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs. But what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.